Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. What has Pedro's message kind of been for you guys? Um, come in. You know, we talked about the whole 0% playoff projection, you know. Um, I think we could just prove a lot of people wrong this year. White Sox! White Sox! Go! Go! White Sox! Let's go! 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 White Sox! We're with you all Yes, sir! Get ready to talk about the Chicago White Sox. That was Sox skipper Pedro Grafal right there. I'm Mark Grody on the Bernstein and Holmes show until 2 o'clock right here on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. And this is a real pleasure because Josh Nelson, who you've heard many times in this time slot on the score, Josh Nelson of the Sox Machine, regular part of the Bernstein and Holmes show for a long time now, he joined on a holiday. (laughs) This man joins us in studio, and I really appreciate it, Josh. Absolutely. I totally forgot it was a holiday. Uh, until like last night when I was recording our show, be like, oh yeah, a lot of people have Monday off. And you can kind of tell in downtown Chicago, there's a lot less traffic, but I have no problem coming into the studio, talking to you guys, especially when it comes to the Chicago White Sox. I always know because it's a holiday because I'm working. I'm like, oh, <laughs> it's Monday prime time. Is there a holiday that day when they ask me, hey, can you do emergency and home show solo? On Monday of that day, is that a holiday or something? Is that why you're leaving me all alone for four hours? So so it is a pleasure. It's also nice to, like, I've been talking to you for probably four or five years, yeah. something like that, on the radio, and this is the first time that you and I have met in person. So it's yes. wonderful. It's everything I expected. Well, you I, look exactly like your pictures. I, I, I am glad to hear that. Somebody like seeing me. Yes, yes. We're absolutely hitting it off. I am going to shock you with my first question sure. about the, the White Sox. Because the question I want to ask you is, what are you looking forward to watching on the Chicago White Sox this year? Well, since uh, James Fegan joined Sox Machine, and that's been a huge deal for us these last couple of weeks, and he's been at camp reporting for us, what I am hearing from Brian Bannister, the new director of pitching for the Chicago White Sox, has been very refreshing and intriguing. And I think he, along with Josh Barfield, who is an assistant GM coming from the Arizona Diamondbacks, are going to breathe fresh air into White Sox player development. And I think those two individuals, if you are searching for hope, White Sox fans, hear what they have to say and what they're going to try to implement. Because Brian Bannister, uh, unfortunately, the White Sox pitching coach, Ethan Katz, his mom recently passed away. So he's been away from the team, but he is going to be reporting to camp this week. 
So it's been Brian Bannister with pitchers and catchers reporting. He's been working with the pitchers. So he's going back to the tape, and instead of focusing so much of this is what you're doing wrong, it's more let's focus on what you are doing right. So it's watching for Michael Kopech more film with 2021. Let's skip last year. And let's really hone in on your natural throwing motion and get you back to that slot rather than aiming to hit the high fastball so you have a higher release point, but you're having a tough time staying on top of the ball, and that's why your fastball command went wayside last year. So I'm really intrigued to see how these pitchers throw, especially during the spring and in April and May to start the season. And if we do see that type of progress, along with the moves that Chris Getz made in the offseason to vastly improve the defense— at least on the run prevention side, the White Sox will be an easier watch. We'll see what happens on the offense. Yeah, and, you know, you're going through the the player development side and you know, going through some of those pitchers. Who are some guys that we should be looking at or names, whether, you know, obviously in the farm system or on the roster right now, that could potentially be on the rise when we talk about having a, a new core beginning to blossom for the White Sox? This is a really good question because the, the key part of that, Mark, that you labeled was the core. Like, an interesting guy to watch early in the season is recent free agent signing Eric Fetty because he got DFA'd by Washington. He's a Scott Boris client, completely revamped what he was working on, worked with Logan Webb of the San Francisco Giants, worked with Brian Bannister, to improve his sweeper, introduced this new changeup, went to the KBO, dominated. He won their version of the Scion and won the MVP, and now he's back at the major league. So at the beginning part of this season, I think Eric Fetty's really interesting. But when you're watching minor league baseball and you're paying attention to the box scores at AAA for the Charlotte Knights, Nick Nestrini and Jake Eater are the guys that I'm paying attention to. Nestrini is a very confident dude. And he understands that when he got traded from the Dodgers to the White Sox last year, he goes from one franchise of the only way I'm going to make the major league team is probably pitching out of the bullpen to, oh, my gosh, I'm on the White Sox. I got a path to be a starting pitcher now. (laughs) Like, it's a completely different world. And he understands that. And he's been talking it up ever since he's joined the White Sox, how excited he's about this opportunity. Jim Callis of MLB.com, when he has joined our show talking about White Sox prospects, he's had scouts tell him last year that Jake Eater, when he was with the Marlins, was one of the best minor league pitchers. The problem with Eater has been injury history, and when he joined the White Sox system, things got way out of whack for him. Walks piled up, the ERA ballooned, he did not look good. But again, if Brian Bannister, if he can help fix Michael Kopech and Garrett Crochet, <laughs> at the same time, aiding and getting Nick Nestriti and Jake Eater on a path where they can find more consistency, I think you'll see more Nestrini and Eater, especially in the second half of the White Sox. And those guys are the core guys you could start rebuilding rotation, especially if they trade Dylan Cease before the deadline. It's always something with... Michael Kopech, just a rugged resume of disappointments and injuries and the ups, the highs and the lows have been real with Michael Kopech. We mentioned the idea or the potential of fixing him a couple of times now. Do you think that he is fixable or do you foresee him in a different role as in bullpen or different role not with the White Sox a couple of years from now? Yeah, That's a good question and 
college baseball season has started. So I've been paying attention from an MLB draft perspective. And when I watch pitchers now, I'm paying attention to how sustainable is their stuff as they get deeper into games. So Wake Forest, Chase Burns is getting a lot of hype right now because he was dominant against Illinois this past Saturday because he's still throwing 98 miles per hour as he gets into the sixth inning in his first start in the college level. If Michael Kopech can get his fastball back to 2021 levels, that's great. But is that the same quality when he's in the second and third inning as he is in the fifth and sixth inning? If he can maintain his stuff, Mark, then I have no doubt Michael Kopech can remain a starting pitcher in the major leagues. But it's the second time or even third time through the lineup. If his stuff diminishes and he gets hit hard, then there's no problem in my mind of putting him into the bullpen and ask him, now go 110% on the velocity side. Yeah, that's a good point. And we need a closer. And, man, you see how much money closers are making these days? <laughs> yeah. So you can still make a lot of money. So at least he's got a fallback plan where I think Michael Kopech could be a very effective reliever. But at least to start early in 2024, I need to know and understand, and I think Kopech needs to answer this question too, does my stuff maintain as I get deeper into the start? Yeah, yeah that, that is worth look. Are you secretly excited about Mike Soroka, or you just kind of look at that as, eh, we'll see if he can do anything for the White Sox this year? It, it's a lottery ticket for sure, yeah. and he's a very humble dude, and he's very appreciative of this opportunity that he has. I counted out Jake Berger, and when you do this long enough – you make way more mistakes and you have way more hot takes than accurate takes. I thought Jake Berger would never make the majors. I mean, how many guys come back after tearing their Achilles twice? It's very rare. And I didn't think he had the mobility or the athleticism to be a major leaguer. And man, I look like an idiot when I go back <laughs> because of the bat is was legit with the White Sox. Yeah, huge strikeout total but he put up monster home run numbers. He gets traded to Miami, and he becomes an instant cult hero for the Marlins because all of a sudden he is hitting for average, uh-huh. and he still has some power. I'm hoping that Mike Soroka has a similar path as Jake Berger because that would make it a lot more fun. And before he got hurt, Mike Soroka was a very, very good pitcher for yeah, the Atlanta Braves. Big-time prospect, the whole thing. So if Bannister can get Soroka back on track, all of a sudden, the White Sox rotation is a lot more interesting than it looks like on paper. Man, the banister, you know, magic. I've been hearing a lot about I mean, you're, he, you're talking to me, and I feel like there's a lot of yeah. buildup here for Brian Bannister all and, of a And maybe we're overhyping this, like, for front office executives, but I do feel, Mark, those were the two biggest additions by the White Sox this offseason was Brian Bannister and Josh Barfield because you let Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn go, and they've been part of the organization for two decades Who's doing the thinking here? Who's going to bring new ideas for an organization that was too insular? And it's these two. And that's where, again, I keep pointing for White Sox fans looking for hope. You're looking for hope from the guidance of Brian Bannister and Josh Barfield. Do you think Dylan Cease will be on this roster on opening day? I do think he'll be on the roster opening day. August 1st, very doubtful. Uh, The reason I think he's going to be on opening day is that Blake Snell and Jordan Montgomery – are still free agents. They are. And I think teams want to know what they have Mm. internally before they start trading away their top prospects to acquire someone like Dylan Cease. So I think we're going to be in this holding pattern and be talking about Dylan Cease's trade market all the way, at least until 4th of July. Okay. In that, yeah, I always got to ask you about Garrett Crochet. 
Is there a chance that he is actually can can Brian Bannister work his magic on Garrett Crochet and have him starting every fifth or sixth day for the Sox this year I, or no way? I, I think that's just too far of a leap personally because he only pitched 10, 12 innings and ever since he was at Tennessee in college, he's been kind of moved around from starter, bullpen. He made one appearance his junior year before COVID and the 2020 MLB draft. He's not physically built up to take the ball every fifth day and throw 100 pitches. Now, could he be the White Sox swing guy and pitch two, three innings in every appearance? I think that's more realistic, and I think that's what he needs to achieve in 2024 to make anyone believe that in 2025 and beyond, he could be someone that pitches 100-plus innings for you. So how, how are they going to line this thing up? So let's just they, – they keep C's. He's there to begin the season. C's, I assume, would be the opening day starter. Yes. Then you'd have Kopech, and then – Tuki Toussaint? I mean, where where you go? Give me the starting five if that's possible uh, right now. Yeah, I think James Vegan is right. It's going to be Cease, Fetty, Flexen, Kopech, Soroka. Okay, okay. Taking, all right, I'm taking him Toussaint out of this. <laughs> I guess Toussaint, okay. I mean, he it's doesn't okay. have any options left, and Toussaint would yeah. probably start as the White Sox swing guy. Again, there's just so much uncertainty with Garrett Crochet. He's also dabbling with a new pitch. He is learning a cut fastball yeah. to use against righties. And okay. he threw it yesterday uh, to a minor league catcher, Adam Hackenberg, and I guess Hackenberg absolutely obliterated the cutter, and Crochet wasn't happy about it. Oh, really? <laughs> so it's it's a it's a pitch in development. But, yeah, that's probably your starting five. Okay. It will not be your starting five at the end of the season. No. There's going to be a lot of a lot of faces making starts with the White Sox in 2024. No doubt. So I, you agree the, that if you talk about run prevention, I know some of that is pitching. But you do look at this infield as it's set up right now. It's pretty solid. I think people are going to like Paul DeYoung. I mean, I know it wasn't like an inspiring signing necessarily, and you're coming off Tim Anderson and all of that. But with him and Nicky Lopez and obviously Moncada, it does, I want to say it looks solid, but we can make fools of ourselves when we talk about a, a White Sox infield being tight, you know. If they stay healthy. If they stay healthy, which is always a big if with the White Sox. But the exciting thing up the middle is Colson Montgomery. And the more I talk to people that are not associated with the White Sox, but they cover Major League Baseball prospects, the more excited I get about Colson Montgomery. He had some back issues last year that I think impacted his defensive ability. But if he is healthy and the back's not causing any problems, we know that he can hit. He's got great plate discipline. If he can make believers that he could stick at shortstop, we may see Colson Montgomery in late August, early September with his cup of coffee, knowing that in 2025 and beyond, that is your new core position player. That is your new long-term shortstop with Colson Montgomery. Okay. I mean, that's exciting. It is exciting to think about Colson Montgomery and one of those potential super prospects for the White Sox. Right field? You got anybody playing right field for Dominic the Sox Fletcher, I think, is going to get the first crack. He's a little bit on the shorter side, 5'6". In Arizona, they made some comparisons to Adam Eaton when Adam yeah. Eaton was with the Arizona Diamondbacks. He had a good introduction to the major leagues last year. Uh, more contact than power, uh, but they also acquired Zach Deloach from Seattle. Oscar Colas has a lot of work to do. Colas will be in Charlotte. He will start the season in AAA. He's got a lot of things to fix. Based on last year, what Luis Robert did, I could not be more excited about seeing what he does for a follow-up, and this is legit. Because if he does, then it's the start of 
recognized star Luis Robert. I think he got there last year, obviously, but what do you look for from Luis Robert this year? I think the important stat is 140-plus games. If Luis Robert is on the field for you to play more than 140-plus games, I'm with you, Mark. I think he can still hit more than 30 homers, and if he's healthy enough and more aggressive on the base paths, he is someone that could also steal 30 bases. I just hope that Yoan Makata and Eloy Jimenez can break out like Luis Robert did last year because they both have contract options, club options after this season. And I just want to send this a warning like sign to their agents because I said the same exact thing last year about Tim Anderson and Yasmani Grandal. And Grandal finally did sign. He's with Pittsburgh. Yep. Tim Anderson's still a free agent. Man, if you do not bounce back, Yoan and Eloy, and if you don't play more than 100 games, you are going to be in the same exact situation that Tim Anderson and Yasmani Grandal have been this offseason. And the winter meetings in Nashville this past December, every team that we spoke to that and people who cover the teams, they all point out, we all have an Eloy Jimenez. We all have a guy that we think could be a big power bat, but they can't stay on the field. Not special, not worth trading for. Yoan Mikata. Why is anyone paying him $24 million this year? He's not worth $24 million. So Mankata and Jimenez really need to step up this year. I'm not saying their careers are on the line, but if they like the money that they're making, they like being starting major leaguers, they got to earn it this year because they're not just playing for the White Sox. I also believe they're playing for the other 29 teams. Where do you put Andrew Vaughn in that? Same expectations for those guys? Probably not because he hasn't been paid it's an interesting question because Andrew Vaughn should be better than what he has been. And if he's just a guy that hits 260 and belts 20 homers and drives in 80 RBIs, that's a far cry from what he was projected to be when he's taken third overall in the Major League Baseball draft. You do not spend a third overall pick on a first baseman like that. You just don't. And his career war total after three years is like zero depending on who you use, fan graphs, baseball reference, or baseball prospectus, uh-huh. he just, he's been replacement level yeah. for his first three years. So if he's got to prove that he should, he merits yeah. being the third overall pick, like we need to see like 30 homers or at least bat 300 if you're going to hit 25 homers. Like more offensive production, more offensive impact needs to be made from Andrew Vaughn. Maybe because he hasn't been playing much first base, but yeah, you put you, you really hit that home. The Sox took a first baseman third overall with, with the third overall pick, believing that he could take the torch from Jose Abreu. Yeah, and the production has been far far, far short. And I get it; he he played in the outfield when he shouldn't have because he is not an outfielder. But the first base defensive metrics are not great either for Andrew Vaughn last year. So that's another area that he's got to improve upon for his overall value, not just like his offensive ability, but what can he also bring defensively? Yeah, now he's got a chance to show it all. So I think, you know, sneaky pressure, low-key pressure on Andrew Vaughn for this year as well. A couple, couple more things before I let you go. Um, catcher, it seems like they've they've sort of restored order at the position, even if it's a little bit disappointing that it's, you know, Martin Maldonado, a little bit older, but a sure hand there as well. What do you think about everything that has happened there with Yasmani Grandal, obviously not being there anymore. It just seems like there is a certain order that's been restored, even if it's not the highest talent that it could have been. 
Yeah, they have two veterans in Max Stassi and Martin Maldonado now. And Maldonado, the framing went crazy bad last year for Houston. And the criticism, I mean, Dusty Baker faced heavy heat for those that cover the Houston Astros for how often he played Maldonado for a team that had World Series aspirations. And now Maldonado joins a White Sox organization. Is this his last ride? Mm. I think that's a good question. But he's known to be an excellent game caller. So when you are working with these young pitchers into the rotation and so many new faces, can veteran backstops and Maldonado and Stacy make that transition easier? And and Max Stacy, he missed all of 2023. Uh, his son was born premature and... Great news. Everything has worked out, and he's returning to the majors. Uh, so I'm excited to see what he brings to the table to overcome that off-the-field uh, issues or the family problems that he had. And being able to rejoin the major leagues is a great sign. So when you have veteran catchers, I think that can make the transition easier for these young pitchers. Corey Lee, which the White Sox acquired last year from the Houston Astros, not a great first impression. Carlos Perez, we think he could hit a little bit, but defensively uh, needs to improve a lot to prove that he's a major league catcher. So I'm okay with the direction the White Sox went with the catching position. All right. But before you came in here, we were chit-chatting, and uh, you live in the, the backyard of guaranteed rate field <laughs> yeah. right now, and they're talking about uh, building a new stadium kind of in the backyard of where we are downtown right now, down the block from us here what do you think about everything that's out there? I mean, the latest is that Jerry Reinsdorf is looking for a billion dollars in, in public money. But in general, are you for the White Sox building this new stadium uh, in the South Loop? This is such a difficult question for me to answer because when I think logically and I try to think from a White Sox marketing and business perspective, the project is too intriguing and what they have came up with, especially working with related Midwest, I see the potential and I get the excitement of moving to the South loop. And I do think that project can be a success, but as someone that lives in Bridgeport, I don't want to live next to an empty stadium. Mm. <laughs> and my criticism right now is not so like, I don't think Jerry Reinsdorf is going to get a billion dollars. I'd be shocked. JB Pritzker is going to have a state of the state address on Wednesday afternoon. And he's going to be asked after his address about this billion dollars that Jerry Reinsdorf is going to pitch this plan to him about the South Loop, eventually we're going to need to hear how the politicians feel about maybe giving a billion dollars to Jerry Reinsdorf to build a new stadium in the South Loop. But we're hearing very little from Bridgeport. We're hearing very little from the 11th Ward. There's no counter to what the White Sox and related Midwest are doing. The South Loop plan, Mark, is plan A. And the residents of Bridgeport are looking around and being like, well, if they move, what do we do with all these parking lots? What do we do with this stadium? Is is there a plan for this? Or are we just going to be living next to this empty stadium? Hey, anybody there? Anybody here? Right. And uh, and who's the only one that came up with an idea of what to do with Guarantee Ray Field? Related Midwest, the people that are working really hard to move the White Sox (laughs) out of Bridgeport. At some point... Uh. My fellow neighbors, the alderman's office at Bridgeport, go, they'll need to come up with something. Somebody's got to do Somebody something. Somebody needs to have a plan. Yeah. Like, and that's the lingering question of like, yes, this is plan A. And if the White Sox move to the South Loop, Mark, what will happen to Bridgeport? 
And right now, it's just one big shrug emoji. <laughs> Nobody knows really and what, what will happen in Bridgeport. But right. I understand the excitement, and I do think from a business perspective, it'll open up new avenues for the White Sox that they currently do not have in Bridgeport. Josh, this has been fantastic. Thanks for – it is President's Day. You didn't know that before, but it is. I hope you – now that you know it's President's Day – I hope you will take advantage of the rest of the sunshine that I'm seeing beaming through our downtown sh- studios here in Chicago. Absolutely. Always a pleasure. Great to finally meet you. Mark. Yeah, in person, man. <laughs> Thank you. That is uh, the one and only Josh Nelson from Sox Machine, at Sox Machine underscore Josh, to follow him on Twitter. I think that that would be a pretty good idea for you to do that. We'll talk Cubs coming up at 1 o'clock, and right around the corner – I heard something today on the score that piqued my interest in the Bears stadium situation. That's coming up next on Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Let's get back to more Mark Crody on Sports Radio 670, The Score. If I had my choice... Bears will be building a brand-new stadium in downtown Chicago. It would stay here. It wouldn't be in Arlington Heights. It would not be in any of the suburbs that people have been talking about. What and about Oak Park? Certainly. Well, no, that, that might be a little bit different, maybe in the OP. I think there's a little, little extra room in Oak Park somewhere. We can right? tailgate together. We'll, <laughs> we'll bring Gabe with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Gabe will be in here a little bit later on. I don't know, man. He's got a... Gabe's got a little bit of a complex, though, about Oak Park and the Berwyn people because the Berwyn people are right next to us, and apparently they don't like the Oak Park people. This is what Gabe has been saying. He and I moved to the OP at about the same time, like a few months back, and it sounds like um, he's already experiencing a little pushback from the the bordering towns. It's pretty rough, but we'll we'll, uh, get straightened that out with Gabe a little bit later on. Gabe Ramirez and... Anthony Heron are going to be in today 
from two o'clock until six o'clock. So I think that if things are working, if the old machine is working normally today, we'll be doing transition with those guys a little bit before two o'clock today. But yes, I am in the. Uh, I I just like the idea of my sports teams that are from Chicago being in the city of Chicago, whether or not I'm actually living in the city of Chicago at the time. I just like the way it looks. I like the way it feels. It's just better. It makes downtown Chicago better. It just makes it cooler. So that that's what I've always wanted. It didn't seem to have any momentum when Arlington Heights was purchased, when that property was purchased. It sure looked like the Bears finally were not bluffing about potentially moving to Arlington Heights, which had come up sporadically, intermittently through the years after the over over the decades. It wasn't the first time that they have flirted with it, but it was like, okay, this thing's over. You got to accept it. But it is from Kevin Warren's perspective and from the city of Chicago's perspective, which once upon a time ago felt like just something they were saying as a ploy, as a bargaining chip is I don't know that the chances are overfit good at this point that the Bears would actually build the stadium downtown, but we're inching closer to at least the possibility. With the latest evidence I heard today on the Mully and Haw show, it was David Haw and Layla Rahimi filling in for Mully, Mike Mulligan, this morning on The Score. They had on... Jim Kirk, longtime journalist, guy that worked for the Tribune and the Sun-Times. He's currently, Jim Kirk, the executive editor for ChicagoBusiness.com. And he was talking about the how realistic it is, the possibility of the Bears staying in the city. I, I think it's very possible that they would stay in the city. I think, look, the NFL, they, they like their franchises to be in, in, in big, big cities. It's in there, especially in a big market like Chicago. This is a huge football NFL town for, for you know, and, and I, I think even they would, if, if all things worked out, they would like to see a down a, a stadium in the city as well. That got me excited. And that's a credible voice guy who's been covering business in this town for a long time saying, I think it's very possible that they'd stay in the city. That's amazing. You know, unless unless Jim Kirk is in on the conspiracy with Kevin Warren and helping him out, which I don't think is the case. That is an amazing change from where we were. To, and where we were, honestly, was like it was kind of a joke, the idea that the Bears would build in the city. You know, back when it was just the mayor. Both mayors, <laughs> the last and the current, both thinking that, oh, yeah, it's going to be okay. Okay. I don't, I don't think so. It's not going to happen. But that's cute that you're saying it. It's fun to think. You have to say that if you're the mayor. You have to talk. You have to create hope in the Bears or Chicago. But now all of a sudden, this thing has taken a turn that the, the possibility of the Bears staying in Chicago. And I, for one, I'm excited, and I admit a lot of it is the optics. I just think it's cool to have your Chicago sports teams in the city. I was ready to accept Arlington Heights, but now my brain is completely back on the city to the point where now I will be disappointed if Kevin Warren doesn't come through and make sure that the the stadium is built in Chicago. So the next question is, 
what about the the White Sox? The possibility that you'd be building two stadiums on the south side with the Bears and the White Sox. Jim Kirk talks about how realistic that would be. I was going to say million-dollar question is really a billion-dollar question is whether or not uh, there is enough financing for, for two stadiums to be built and whether or not even there could be some kind of uh, interesting uh, proposal through ISFA that would finance two stadiums. Now, I, I just, at this point, obviously the, the, the White Sox plan has does not obviously include a separate stadium for for the Bears, but it's not inconceivable that either the mayor or the governor try to figure something out. I have no idea if whether, whether they, uh, if there's been any discussion of some some big uh, development plan like that. I, it doesn't sound like it at this point. But as of right now, it, essentially, it is kind of a race for for uh, a limited pool of funds uh, that could be used to, to fund one or two stadiums quite the turn of events that you have these two teams now again a credible voice kind of putting in motion or confirming what we thought we knew that the white Sox and the bears really are right may might be racing for building a stadium in chicago i would absolutely love it if both could get done if you didn't hear Jerry Reinsdorf, the White Sox owner, is asking for $1 billion in public money for that South Loop location. It is like stadium, like from from the start of talk about stadiums, which usually occur years in advance. I'll just say this to simplify. It's a pain in the ass. The whole process, especially if you're starting from scratch and you want to build and all of that and the land plotting, and then the politics that are involved in that, the taxes that are involved in it, fan reaction that is involved in it. The whole thing is a big headache. There, there's no doubt about it, and there, there are parts that are going to be unlikable for sure. Owners move because of things like this. But this is really, as far as I know, too, I'm pretty sure unprecedented like where you have two teams vying to build new stadiums downtown. I think it's absolutely fascinating. 312-644-6767. Let's get in one call here before we go to the break, and that would be Walt and Roselle wanting to talk about the Jerry Reinsdorf and the, the money that he'd like you to spend. Hey, Mark, how are you? Good, Walt. What's going on? Hey, listen, I, I have a comment and then a question. Okay. So my comment is – how can a guy like Jerry Reinsdorf ask for a billion dollars when he's an owner who doesn't appear to have any respect for the fans and he has no commitment to winning? And no right fielder. Yeah, right. How do you, the gall to ask for a billion dollars shows you where this guy is coming from? But here's my question, a real question, right? Yeah. yeah. And you can end on that if you'd like. But – in your opinion, what is the difference between the media in New York, Boston, and Philly from a sports perspective? You mean as, as a relative to Chicago? As Absolutely, relative to Chicago. Okay, so you're bunching all those guys, and you're not asking me to discern those yes. three and, media. Right. Types. So do you know the answer to the question, or are you actually asking me? the? Well, I do want to ask you, but here's why I'm asking I actually believe that Chicago, the media in Chicago, 
has a lot more influence than apparently they think they do. So I don't know why we're soft on these owners like Reinsdorf primarily, right? Why don't we put pressure on these guys? I mean, heavy pressure, the same type of pressure that they put on on the commitment to winning in New York, Boston, and Philly. So I'll hang up and listen to your answer. All right, thanks, man. I appreciate the call. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt about it. The the score, just look at us. We are public pressure. We are public response. So I'm not going to say like flatter us or me or any individual, but of course we're in their ears. Of course we have some modicum of influence on what goes on because they hear from the fans and a lot of times we are reflecting the fans voice a lot of times we're leading you know in some cases what the fans are saying but no I think that while I would say I would admit even though I am very much part of the the Chicago media core there's probably there's probably a little bit more bite out east you know just from what I hear and like from reporters that I know I mean there is there is an east coast thing with the, you know, just the way they talk and how they are. There's a little bit more directness, a little bit less worried about feelings, a little bit less worried about what people are going to think. Just a little bit. That's just the way the humans are on the East Coast. So, so I agree with that. In terms of, like, raw numbers, like uh, the Bears, I think, might have the biggest media contingency in the NFL because even in New York, you know, a lot of their media is split between – the two teams and the the LA teams as well. So, uh, but yeah, the pu- public pressure happens all the time. I mean, whether it's on the score or people, you know, writing opinion pieces, it's all part of it. It's all it's it's all part of it. There's no doubt about it. Um, but yeah, no, it is interesting to think about what Jerry Reinsdorf and the White Sox have not produced, and it's been extremely disappointing what they have done and not done over the last year and that he is asking for a billion dollars. It's not lost on me what you're saying. There's no doubt about it. It's a little bit ridiculous. Is Dominic Fletcher your right fielder and you're asking for a billion dollars? Is it going to be Gavin Sheets? Come on. Martin Maldonado? What's going on? But but you'll ask for a billion. I like where you're going with that. we got to take a break. 312-644-6767. Coming up at the top of the hour, we're going to talk Cubs with uh, Tony and Drackey on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Let's get back to more Mark Crody on Sports Radio 670, The Score. I also don't understand, or maybe I should just applaud you for having the self-confidence to label your own show Saturday Suckage. Bob, it, it, it happened naturally. It was organically. We were not trying to run away. In fact, we do it as a public service. I suck, so you don't have to. Self-awareness is an important step in life, so (laughs) congratulations. Steve Rosenblum bringing Bob Costas down to the level. That was an incredible moment. That just happened Saturday. 
Saturday Suckage with Steve Rosenblum. And yes, that was the voice of Bob Costas on his show and getting down and dirty on Saturday Suckage. It was so great that he just wanted to, to play along with Steve Rosenblum and just a big moment. Maybe for some people this doesn't resonate, but for me, who is a part of one of the founding fathers of Saturday Suckage and everything that came with it, um, I, I was very proud of that moment for one of the founding fathers, Steve Rosenblum, who actually looks like a founding father. So I, I thought that was fantastic. So, Steve, if you're listening, shout out. Great to hear Bob Costas on the level. That was interesting, too. We're not, probably not going to have time to play this right now. but And I haven't heard the cut. Maybe we'll play with this a little bit later on. But one of the things that Bob Costas was was talking about was Joe Madden and how Joe Madden deserves more credit that somehow somewhere along the line I mean that would indicate that Bob feels like Joe Madden has not given gotten enough credit you know Joe I I've always liked Joe he's a fascinating guy he's a good guy uh he won the manager of the year at least twice, maybe three times with Tampa, another time with the Cubs. And the outcome is really what matters. The outcome is that nobody who is alive at this moment, plus their grandparents, ever saw the Cubs win a World Series with anyone other than Joe Madden as their manager. <laughs> that ought to be enough. <laughs> Probably is enough. I mean, it's, it's a great point. It's hard to disagree with Bob Costas. I'm with Stephen Rosenblum on the score on Saturday. The pro- I assume that we're talking about the fact that it was the Game 7 trouble. Like, Joe Madden had a bad game in Game 7, which sounds ridiculous to say, but that you saw it, I saw it. It was a rough game, but I do not think that that takes away from what Joe Madden did. Joe Madden was the manager that they brought in to win the World Series because he was available. Joe Madden had a one of the, one of the great managerial years in 2015. Really, like may, maybe the best managing job at least the Cubs franchise has ever seen for a year. To have dealt what he dealt with in terms of having no idea what his roster was going to look like, you know, at the beginning of the season and what it became by the middle of the season and where they went, obviously, taking that team with a bunch of first-time prospects coming up to the, to the NLCS, that was dominant managing, managing. And there was a lot of managing to be done on that team. That was not just to sit back, watch, and let these guys do their thing. As a matter of fact, Joe Madden would, would overmanage as, as it came to be in 2016 at times. So that was huge what he did, not to mention the jump. You know, because the Cubs really didn't take off until about midway through the season in 2015. And then, you know, the San Francisco series in August, and then they just never looked back. It was there, there, they, that was the start of their run into three straight NLCSs. So I actually think, despite what happened in, in the World Series in Game Seven, that Joe Madden's legacy is still pretty safe. And, I mean, it has to be noted. I mean, like, there's no reason to run and hide from what happened in Game 7 and some of the decisions that, that Joe Madden was making. And, of course, ultimately, he was let go by the organization. But I don't think that there's 
really any problem. Like I'm sitting here thinking about it right now, building up to it. I don't think there's any problem in saying that Joe Madden is the best manager the Chicago Cubs have ever had. But you just got to look at because it's what we do. You look at the full body of work and don't leave things out. And you know, even even things like Game Seven of the World Series. When we return, let's keep the the Cubs talk going. Let's let's see what's cooking with the Cubs in Arizona. Let's get some projections on them with our friend Tony Andraki from the Marquee Sports Network. Cubs talk is next on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.